Hello everyone, uh, Editor Danny here. I'm sure you are probably very tired of hearing me. Um, all joking aside, I wanted to uh, jump in before this episode got underway, just to give a little bit of a disclaimer. We recorded this episode around the week of Christmas, and it is currently February 13th at about a quarter to eight in the evening as I record this, so suffice it to say some time has passed, and some final pieces of the IndyCar team market, driver market, and other sort of just scattered miscellaneous details have been finalized in the time since we recorded this. So you're going to hear us talk about stuff like we don't know, and that's because, well, two months ago we didn't know. Um, so anyway, just wanted to hop in and kind of hit you with that before we get underway. Um, but enjoy the episode. And hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Chicanery. As per usual, it is uh, your uh, well-known host. I am Danny, and we have JT. Hello, once again. Yes, and we have a guest today. Another one. Um, this We have Lauren. Uh, she runs the uh, IndyCar Out of Context Twitter account with JT. But anyway, I will let you take it from here, Lauren. Hi. Uh... Excited to be on the show with you guys. Excited to talk a little bit about the IndyCar happenings of late. Uh, there's a lot going on and a lot to talk about. So I don't know. Where do you guys want to start? Well, I am glad you asked. Um, <clears throat> because the first uh, big thing um, is that uh, the delayed debut of uh, the IndyCar hybrid setup. So, of course, it was... The original point of all of this is that all 10 teams were supposed to test with the new hybrid system during the offseason. That didn't exactly happen. Uh, as far as I understand, it was only four teams that tested. So that, of course, basic arithmetic six did not. And this has been pushed forward until after the 500. And there's lots of chatter about how this is going to go. So, you know. My personal feelings is that this could potentially, well, beyond being a mess and the fact that we'll have basically two cars, uh, two different cars in season, ostensibly, which is uh, suboptimal, um, is that this could generate um, some competitive advantages, disadvantages, and given that, at least on the powertrain side, Indy is broadly a spec series, uh, that doesn't seem great, but... How are we feeling about this chat crowd? Um, honestly, I don't really know if that's a good idea on IndyCar's half. I know that it's definitely, you know, obviously it's like, if not everybody's gonna be ready to debut with the hybrid because not everybody's tested it coming like in the off season and they're deciding, yeah, probably best to push it back after the 500. I think, you know, that's probably a good decision. I think the main concern really is that like that everyone's pretty much had and you already said it with there could be, you know, advantages. Some teams may be at more advantages than others because you will essentially have to do regulation changes in like mid season. And usually that's not typical of racing series to do that. Usually they wait until the off season to make any sort of changes if they need to. So that's really the main thing. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. And I think 
the way that people have talked about it has been interesting. I think that the idea of it being an advantage for certain teams is definitely a valid concern and something that is definitely going to be a factor, I would think. Um, someone kind of put it, I think it was Alexander Rossi on Off Track said, it doesn't really matter because the reality is someone from those teams was going to win the championship anyway, which he's probably right. Um, but I think it's still a big question mark. It's something that we haven't seen happen before. So I think even if that was the case, I agree that the competitive weirdness in the middle of the season is definitely something that is going to be interesting to see. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and since I've had a, uh, a little bit of downtime here recently, so I've been going back and spelunking through uh, NASCAR classics and, uh, I am currently was working through uh, 2007, and I had completely forgotten in the period that actually Car Tomorrow wasn't didn't drop until Darlington, so they were running Gen Four cars for the first three rounds, and then the same thing happened where you had a really really chunky order. And you know, and granted, NASCAR and sort of its developmental arms race is a little bit different than Indy, and kind of always has been, so it's not entirely an apples to apples comparison, but just kind of everywhere, cars and drivers. It was just kind of, like I said, kind of all over the place. And technically the car tomorrow was available to folks if they want to run it a little bit sooner, but then they chose not to. But it was, yeah, it created a very, very odd and uneven season. And I potentially see some of that happening um, with this. Um, but yeah, it's just, like I said, this is just really, really weird. Um, JT and I had talked about it in a previous episode, but it's honestly probably worth scrapping this whole bit and just pushing this to 2025. Um, get all their uh, ducks in a row and go from there. But since this is IndyCar, I doubt they're going to do that. Logic seems to be far beyond them. Um, Anyhow, I guess kind of moving on as a sort of a, an aside to this. Um, Honda is getting very, very punchy here as of late. Um, they have been, I mean, there's been murmurs about costs uh, to the engine manufacturers for a little while, but they pretty much laid down an ultimatum to IndyCar, which is we will bugger off if you do not reduce uh, financial impact. And uh Needless to say, that's huge, um, because if Honda follows through on this, then that would leave uh, Chevy as the sole engine supplier. Um, now, I'm not entirely sure how I feel about this one way or another, so I'll let you two have the floor and we can kind of, we'll go from there. I mean, I think part of it is because... Honda is trying to, I think, like streamline the way they do their engines and make them a lot more similar to the way they are in IMSA to kind of like, again, reduce the cost. Um, and I think, I mean, it's kind of an aside, but I think this all happened because of like the hybrid engine was delayed already. And I guess like, I think maybe that's part of why IndyCar is kind of doing what they're doing by just introducing it mid-season as opposed to waiting until 2024 is over and doing it in 2025 is because of this because the hybrid engine would cost less i guess for honda and since they said it would be like 
they basically said they're unlikely to continue as a manufacturer like after 2026. So like waiting till 2025 might be a little bit too late for them, I guess. But I don't know. I'm not entirely sure IndyCar, like it's suboptimal because I'm like, I'm not sure IndyCar could operate with just one manufacturer with Chevy. I think they would definitely need two or three. I mean, even two is not really the best to be working with, but those are my thoughts. Yeah, I think the point about them wanting to streamline their engine manufacturing is a really interesting point that I hadn't thought of or seen. I think that makes a lot of sense. If they're making hybrids for every other series, I can completely see why they would want to do that in IndyCar as well. I think that it definitely, their ultimatum definitely happened because of the hybrid delay. And I think maybe that probably... (laughs) adds to why they are introducing it mid-season just to kind of get Honda off their back a little bit. Um, I think Honda's main problem is probably with the number of engines that they are having to contribute just because the car count has gone up so much that they're just not seeing the return on their investment. Um, I think some people have kind of talked about the validity of the threat and kind of where it came from. Apparently it came from someone within Honda who has a lot of ties to IndyCar and really enjoys uh, being involved with IndyCar and stuff like that. And I think somebody, I think Kevin Lee or somebody like that probably theorized that it may have been that this Honda's involvement in IndyCar is something that he has to sell to the Honda executives in Japan. And if they aren't making enough money, they are the ones that aren't going to want to buy it in a way, whereas he would rather just continue, but he has to be the one to convince them. And right now it's just not happening because they're wasting too much money with the high car count, et cetera, et cetera. So I think, yeah, I think it's a valid threat in that they're going to have to figure out some way to keep the cost down. But I think it's maybe less of the end of the world than it has been seen as. I don't know. Well, I guess, well, to start off, I'm a little surprised this didn't happen sooner. Um, if you flash back to uh, twenty. 12, if I remember correctly, we had three engine suppliers. You had Chevrolet, you had Honda, and you had, incredibly, I still don't quite know how they pulled this off, but you had Lotus. Um, now, granted, from what I understand, the Lotus is just a heavily worked over Chevy power plant, uh, from what I sort of remember about that period. Um, and if I remember correctly, Lotus didn't even survive the full 2012 season. I have to go back and look and when I edit this, I might pop in a little edit note here about if I'm wrong, uh, if I'm a hack and a fraud, or if I indeed got that right. But um, yes, and you know, as you'd mentioned, car counts have you know ballooned substantially here over the last handful of years. So yeah, it's a wonder that this didn't happen sooner. Um, now, definitely convincing, you know, Honda board is um, well. That is unfortunately something that afflicts basically all of Honda's um, motorsports divisions. Um, they are famously, or perhaps that should be infamously, um, uh, ambivalent uh, in Tochigi about committing to motorsports projects. I mean, 
it wasn't that long ago that, you know, they buggered off from Formula One just to go, hey, never mind, actually. You know, they signed that long-term deal with uh, with Aston Martin moving forward, actually, from 2026, which is why. And I had perhaps missed this part in all of the general chatter, but that would also make sense given that there's going to be a, a significant rework to the uh, power units in Formula One for 2026. That's a whole new set of regs. Um. And given that, I know most of the focus on that is going to be on the hybrid tech. Um, it And it is speculated, of course, you know, this is all rumors and murmurs leaking out of various uh, engine suppliers that are signed on for 2026. But the big shift on the hybrid moving away from the, um, uh, the internal combustion engine is going to potentially that might make this whole that whole outfit a little bit more expensive. And Honda, of course, recently restructured the way it's um, sort of broader motorsports development series works here uh, in the United States with IMSA and IndyCar isn't quite as separate as it once was, just a broader rebrand. So, you know, lots of uh, contributory uh, environmental factors, I think, are leading to this. Um, now, I don't think introducing the hybrid midseason is the way to correct this. Um, I think this is going to be a this will take what is, I mean, don't get me wrong, Honda threatening to leave. That is a very real thing, and I think that should be taken seriously. However, I think we have made the the transition from serious to rash. Um, and I think that there's the potential for there to be lots and lots and lots of egg on IndyCar's face with this. But it's... I mean, it's already a mess. All of this is already a mess. Might as well just, like, at this point, it almost doesn't even matter. I, there's, I think there's probably some kernels of truth to that. Um, it's just, you know, it's one of those things that gets talked about a lot, certainly in the old heads of, you know, IndyCar enthusiasm and IndyCar media that, um, you know, IndyCar, that sport still really hasn't recovered from the, you know, circa 20 years of squabbling that was the uh, IRL cart split and then to have you know right when it feels like the series is finally starting to find its legs again to have an engine manufacturer go well actually see you love you bye is not great so well we'll have to see how this all um how this all goes this could end up being just a gigantic nothing burger uh, at the end of the day but it is certainly something worth uh keeping an eye on um, but transitioning on from that, um, an IndyCar charter system, I, <laughs> um, again, you know, I, I hate doing this. It feels like I do this entirely too many times each episode, but certainly, um, lots of ink and vitriol have been expended on the way, uh, NASCAR handles its charter system and how, uh, very not good it is, um, I, you know, I know it's something, you know, IndyCar has been eyeing up for some time now, but good idea or not? What are we feeling? No, absolutely not. The biggest no, the biggest no button that you can find, no. Okay, the charter system would mean essentially that there's no more bump day for Indy 500 qualifying, and it's like, I like that. I like not knowing if there's going to be people who are going to be in the 500 or not. And I'm sure, like, you know, some teams probably feel like, you know, that adds some anxiety because they don't know if they're going to be in the race or not. But however, if they do end up being in the race, it's like, you know, their hard work paid off. With the charter system, it's like, 
everybody's essentially in the race. And it's like, honestly, I feel like this is just not something IndyCar needs to be worried about right now. I think there are far more pressing issues that they should be probably focusing on. And it's not a charter system. I mean, I'm, I initially saw, I think they were talking about this like a while ago. It might have been months ago. And I saw an article about it. And I'm like, eh, I just kind of brushed it off because I really didn't think they were serious about it. But now a few months later, they're like, yeah, we're seriously considering a charter system. It's like, no, you don't need that. Yeah, I think I'm on the same page. Honestly, my knowledge of NASCAR's charter system is very low, um, but I've seen a lot of people make the point about the 500 and how that having a charter system would basically ruin bump day and kind of end that. And I just wouldn't like that. I think bump day, especially last year, like being at the track, there was definitely like an added added excitement around qualifying generally. Um, people were there and like they were paying attention and engaged. So I think it's a really valuable part of just the lead up to the 500 and getting people excited for the race. And that's something I wouldn't want to lose. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, you know, I know lots of folks, you know, will sit and extol the virtues of bump days, you know, purely because, uh, well, as has been well regarded, uh, particularly, uh, motorsports Twitter likes chaos and bump day delivers just that. Um, you know, valid or not, um, it's, you know, it, potentially hot take amongst this crowd. Uh, bump day, I mean, it, it's definitely silly. And don't get me wrong, I, you know, danced like a goat around an open fire when Ray Hall got bumped. Let me be perfectly clear, I did. Um, but otherwise, it's just kind of like, yeah, okay. Um, actually ditto when uh, McLaren got yeeted and what was that 2017 20, whenever that was that was also quite funny but beyond that it's like yeah but you know certainly my brain like I said the NASCAR charter system is you know an absolute dumpster fire uh it has not been good for a while um you know as much as that man cannot shut up um uh, the one benefit of uh Danny Hamlin having a podcast now and being a team owner is that he talks about kind of the ins and outs uh, of that sport you know and you know, and kind of gives a surprisingly in-depth numbers perspective. I'm not entirely sure he should be doing that. But anyhow, um, and yeah, certainly the amount that it took to buy, you know, the 23 from uh, BK Racing and then as a part of the charter system and then, to, you know, add on the 45, which I can't remember where they snatched that from. It was just like, Jesus Christ. Um, so it's certainly the... Assuming that the IndyCar system, should they introduce something like that, ends up functioning similarly, because I don't see why it wouldn't, um, given that NASCAR has laid out a format and, you know, and as much as we know that well, it doesn't actually work, NASCAR go, oh, yeah, this is great. You guys should definitely do that. NASCAR will inevitably follow. Um, I think it has the potential to turn all of that into a real, just a real mess. Um and that's probably my biggest opposition to it more than anything else. And yeah, certainly to JT's point, they are vastly larger fish to fry than a charter system in the sport right now. That is the absolute last thing you should be concerning yourself with. But moving on, 
we have uh, all of the chatter uh, because here fairly recently, I guess that was around about the Thanksgiving break, maybe a little bit after uh, Mark Miles was uh, was terminally online for a bit about, um, you know, sort of, <laughs> okay, well, I'll, you're already laughing, you're so I'll stupid. let you have this one. He's literally terminally online, then he's saying, oh, I don't read, like, he literally said, quote unquote, I don't read social media. What I care about is the people that understand things and have this perspective. It's like, clearly, either you are not online at all, or you are online, and you're just lying about that you aren't, because you see people, like, raking you over the coals and getting so much blowback from the decisions that you're making. And it's like, that's part of the problem, in my opinion. It's like, if people in IndyCar leadership don't read social media, I feel like that's part of the problem. Like, you should. You should actually read what people are saying. And I'm sure some of it's like the old antiquated mindset because they just think that people on social media are just people who don't know what they're talking about and just, you know, randomly waffling about random things and don't really know what they're talking about. But it's like, no, some of this is like actually thoughtful. Like, believe it or not, people actually know what they're talking about with this stuff. And it's like, he's just so annoying. Like, this might turn into a Mark Miles roast session, but it's okay. (laughs) I'd like to see it. Yeah, I say I'm completely okay with it. Um, I mean, mean, it's the same issue that afflicts, you know, most motorsport categories. I mean, that's what happens when you have a bunch of, you know, dumb boomers who have absolutely outstayed their usefulness who are still making decisions. This is this is what you get, um, you know, because the whole bloodbath over, you know, what exactly, you know, thermal club was supposed to be, um, which was not well communicated at all. Um, you know, now, I mean, if this is just, you know, IndyCar's version of, you know, Monaco, Miami, Vegas, you know, saying that sort of from the jump, I mean, people still would have been annoyed about it. Let me be perfectly clear. But certainly you have set the expectation. But then you go, oh, yeah, we're doing this thing at thermal club. And then people start going to go have a look and they're like... I mean, I'm kind of glad. I'm glad at least they were able to be honest and say, yeah, we we f***ed up. We didn't communicate this in a way that people actually understood what the hell we were talking about. So it's like, yeah, I'm glad they were able to at least admit that. Yeah, I think they kind of just... Especially in the Thermal Club thing, they it's such a conflicting view because they're like, on the Thermal Club thing, they're like, our fans know everything. As in, last year we went there because there's people there that have a lot of money and are interested in racing. They should know that. And then they're like, our fans know nothing. And that's why I don't go online. It doesn't really make sense. They want us to know stuff they said a year ago and assume we know that, but we know nothing about other things. Make it make sense. <laughs> Well, that's the problem. It no, it doesn't. Um, <clears throat> but um, but yeah, like I said, it's just. And it's funny. I was talking to somebody uh, fairly recently. I don't remember who, but this is kind of always, you know, especially with um, at executive level, certainly at least in modern motorsports, is you know, it's you know very much about you know returns, and if you know for whatever reason these are you know publicly traded corporations, and you know you're talking about you know um, stockholder share prices and uh, subsequent dividend prices and so on and so forth, and it becomes more about that than in sort of the health of the monetary side rather than you know things like you know 
fan engagement, manufacturer engagement, driver engagement, and, you know, sort of the tree that that is. Um, and this is, you know, well, frankly, just another instance of this, because, you know, certainly to put it under no uncertain terms so we can be absolutely clear, Mark Miles is an idiot. <laughs> and that's part of the problem. Well, actually, that is a large part of the issue. You know, you know, don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm by no means going to sit here and, you know, defend some of his, his predecessors because they suck just about as much. But it's in this. I don't know. You know, you too can, you know, feel free to kind of fill me in on this. But it feels like we keep having these, you know, CEOs, these heads of IndyCar that are exceptionally bullish about decision making in the future and what have you. But then again, just really dumb and seem to miss just basic stuff. Here's the problem with Mark Miles. Mark Miles and probably maybe some other people in IndyCar leadership have too many yes men that are around them that simply don't check them when they're saying something that is insanely stupid and probably not even a good idea anyways. That's why he said, like, there's a reason he said, oh, like, I need people around me who understand these things and have this perspective. Because he's not interested in anybody else who doesn't think the same way he does. Same with Roger Penske, probably. I mean, that's how we've kind of ended up in this situation to some degree. Because I'm sure there's nobody else. There's nobody else that's like telling him, hey, this is a really stupid idea and you probably shouldn't do it. He has nobody. He just hears the same people that will either agree with him or just repeat the same stuff that he's already saying. And then we get nowhere. Yeah, that's distinctly possible. Um, you know, certainly, you know, well, the captain wouldn't be the captain if you were a complete idiot. I mean, it's worth noting he fields a team in just about every major category of motorsports that exists at the moment. The only thing is actually Formula One is it. But there's the Penske uh, DS team in Formula E, Penske and NASCAR, the Porsche Penske team in IMSA. Of course, you know, I mean, he owns the whole sodding thing for IndyCar. Um, so, like I said, he's not dumb, uh, I don't think. You know, and like I said, we could be getting to a point where, you know, like I said, you know, he's sort of outstayed his welcome, too. Um, but no, but certainly this this chatter, you know, and certainly the way Mark Miles conducts himself reminds me a lot of uh, just the blowhard that was uh, Randy Menard 10 years ago. Because Randy was, I swear, it was exactly like this. You know, where he would say something and, oh, this is a great idea. We should absolutely do this. And, you know, you don't know better than I do. And then, well, frankly, that's how you get, you know, disasters like, you know, uh, Las Vegas 2011. Um, so I don't know. But certainly within the people who seem to orbit the sphere of IndyCar, there's a real problem here. I don't know what that is. Um, I don't, I will, I guess, correction, I have not paid close enough attention to sort of these various ladders that seem to lead into positions of le leadership within IndyCar to understand exactly where the issue is. You know, it could be maybe, frankly, bringing in, you know, too many outsiders because Randy Bernard had absolutely sought all to do with auto racing generally before he became the CEO of IndyCar in, you know, 2010 or whenever that was, 2009. Um, but also, you know, maybe it is just kind of an echo chamber of a bunch of old heads who feel like there is one very specific way to do this. 
but then refuse to adapt to the fact that it is, you know, 2023, not, you know, 1983. I, I don't know what the answer to that question is. Yeah, I think I agree with JT and what you said, Danny. I think there's a lot going on and it's hard to pinpoint just one thing. I think one thing that kind of comes to my mind when these issues seem to arise every year is that IndyCar is so rooted in tradition. Um, I'm not super familiar with any kind of traditional basis of other series just because I'm so IndyCar focused, but I think there's something that is underneath IndyCar, especially just kind of the relationship to the 500, the relationship to certain tracks like Long Beach and stuff like that. I think there's just this idea that we've done this for so long and it's been so successful. Why do we need to change it? And then that you see this kind of out of touch mentality that has kind of developed within that circle. Like JT kind of said, like it's kind of just becoming an echo chamber in a way because there's nothing from the outside coming in and what's coming in from the outside is just so out of touch with reality or like, I don't even know, just like critical thinking. Like the main thing that really gets me is the CW series. Um, I know it's not just IndyCar that's doing that, like associating themselves with the CW because they are a new broadcaster of sports and all of this stuff. But it's like 100 Days to Indy was okay as a product, but it's not a product that is going to promote IndyCar in the way they wanted it to. They were like, this is our big marketing pitch. This is our big thing. And then no one can watch it internationally unless you're like streaming it illegally on YouTube, which, okay. But it's not like it's getting it out to a wider audience where it's like on the Netflix homepage. It's just like these big decisions that should be pushing IndyCar forward are somehow being bungled at the top. Even like the, like... 100 Days to Indie thing, I feel like, in a way, was, like, them kind of, like, being half-assed about trying to, because they saw the drive to survive with Formula One. Obviously, they saw that, NASCAR saw that, all racing series, specifically North American racing series, probably saw that, and we're like, yeah, we need to find some way to emulate that, but then it's, like, they're really, like, basically trying to, like, copy that word for word, bar for bar, and it's, like, that's not really gonna work, because it's, like, you're just, you're not Formula One, so you're never going to like whatever you produce is never going to be the same that they produce and like I feel like that's probably what IndyCar tried to do with 100 Days to Indy and it just kind of didn't work out the way they thought it would yeah I think there's you know something to that you know when I especially when as I've seen these you know frankly derivative series pop up it makes me think of that um that um that meme um I think he was on The Breakfast Club. He was like, you know, he copied my whole bar. He copied my whole flow word for word. Uh, Soldier talking about Drake. And that's kind of what's happened here with uh, 100 Days to Indy and, you know, Drive to Survive. Um, you know, and like, you know, let's be clear, you know, as much as, again, you know, the effectively, you know, Twitter versions of uh, boomers, well, frankly, actual boomers, uh, bemoan, uh, bemoan sort of the Drive to Survive effect. It has been pivotal and getting uh, Formula One in front of, you know, new eyes. 
uh, because that was also becoming an echo chamber of old people. And well, it was going to have a case of you were going to have the fan base all uh, collectively die in, you know, about 15, 20 years time. And well, needless to say, having your fan base all get old is not really great for business. Um, so, but yes, like I said, all of these derivative products, I mean, like you said, they're just not as good. Um, and yeah, and truth be told, you know, such was the thud that 100 Days to Indie landed with was that I had actually completely forgotten that that was a thing that existed until it was mentioned. Um, yeah, I didn't watch it. Like I said, I forgot it was a thing. And truth be told, I'm trying to flash back to certainly watching the various broadcasts even during that week. And I don't really remember it being mentioned on the broadcast ever yeah i don't think it ever was honestly um you'd see commercials for it sometimes on nbc sometimes on like other channels but they never mentioned it on the broadcast i think if they may have like it would have maybe worked better if they would have flooded the broadcast like with ads for it but i think they had so many other sponsors that they probably couldn't do it but that was definitely a mistake yeah, absolutely. Because, yeah, I'm trying to think. Yeah, I don't remember. And, you know, and I, it's worth noting, uh, I watched actually the Sky Sports feed uh, for the 500 proper um, because there's only so much of uh, Townsend Bell that I can deal with before I want to tear my hair out. So, very fair. Yeah. So, I usually don't, anytime I watch anything IndyCar, it's usually through the Sky's feed. But honestly, <clears throat> I think 2023 was a year where like every series was trying to do some like, show thing like i know nascar did their show i don't know if that was last year or this year i forgot what their show was called and then they did that for like half the season and then there was another season of that i know imza was doing like the win the weekend thing like their little like docu-series that they did for every race on youtube i don't know everybody was just trying to like i guess copy the driver survive thing but yeah, and honestly, I well, this will maybe be something for the main pod, but truth be told, NASCAR didn't really even do a great job of that. You know, because, yeah, it was like, you know, a couple of races, it was like one was a multi-partisan, like Chase Elliott, I think. And it's like, okay, way to try to give me get me to give a shit about Chase Elliott. Um, then they did one on William Byron, then they did another one on Bubba. Which I, I mean, think truth be told, NASCAR's problem is because a lot of their drivers are just not that appealing. Like, I don't really care about William Byron, and, like, like the only person I could say, like, oh, yeah, I could care about them or, like, want to see more about their life is, like, Blaney or, like, like none of their people, none of their drivers are very personable is the thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and then the ones that are, you know, tend to get immediately smited by both media and fans. Because, you know, Bubba kind of embraced the villain arc this year and uh, paid for it dearly. And um, general, uh, even actually media perspective, I mean, the fans have always hated them. But so there's that. But moving on. Um, yeah, like I said, it's just it's um, like I said, it needs leadership is just it's a mess. And it has been, truth be told, really since the split. Um, and that's part of the reason why it feels like the series sort of it feels like when it does make steps forward it always feels like it's in spite of itself rather than because of what they are able to accomplish you know it's like like i said you know you know, the whole thing with you know las vegas 2011 was a mess then you know returning to pocono turned into an absolute disaster um 
It's like then the, you know, all of the things and, you know, safety innovations on the car when the DW12 became a thing and that really didn't go very well. And the IR18 was a heavy facelift. And then the response to that has been kind of mixed. And then the dog and pony show that was the implementation of the aero screen. I mean, I could go on for a while with every farce or borderline farce that this sport has had in the last, you know, 15 years. And I think that's kind of a problem when you have this level of what feels like almost continuous dysfunction. Because, well, it's just, it's, it's dysfunction. You cannot thrive when you're doing this constantly. Yeah, I think it's interesting to look at it like that. I think it's definitely true. There's no doubt about that. I think it's really odd because I feel like in my mind, IndyCar has, in a way, always thrived in dysfunction. Like, at their best, like, back in the 70s, back in the 80s, they were still kind of going back and forth towards govern about governance and USAC and all of these issues. And that was when they were on top of the world. And so, in a way, it kind of makes me think, maybe this is just what it is, and we're just living in it like everyone always has. But when it looks like every other series, especially Formula One, is just so non-dysfunctional or not as dysfunctional in the same way, maybe, <laughs> that it's like, what are we doing? So I don't know. Yeah, say so Formula One is kind of a mess too, but the, the flip side is that they have, you know, multiple uh, federal governments and tens of billions of euros to overcome that. Yeah, they've got the budget to overcome their own dysfunction. Exactly. <laughs> it's not relate. Um, but, um, but yeah, it's just, yeah, like, you know, you pointed out, you know, because I had actually forgotten about all the USAC garbage and, uh, you know, in the 70s running through the 80s. Yeah, that's another great example of it. But yeah, it's just, yeah, the sport is just, it's going to get nowhere constantly doing this. Um you know, and I know some of what's driven some of this pushing and the fact that once again, we have leadership that feels increasingly bullish is, um, you know, because I know we've seen, you know, um, an increase in uh, ticket sales and attendance and so general revenue for the tracks and, you know, subsequently the sport. But I mean, talk about a red herring if I've ever seen one, you know, we're watching all across the board with any sort of, you know, basically public sporting venues, because let's be honest, that's effectively what it is, um, are still going up as sort of the trajectory um, uh, post-COVID. It's like, y'all aren't smart enough to understand that and to be able to interpret that? It's like, you know, granted, you know, do I work in, you know, you know, marketing and things, you know, no. Um, but I do understand graphs and data and sort of plots over time and interpreting those. And it's like, it's like, that's all this is, is, you know, people are finally comfortable enough to get back out and pack in with, you know, a half a million of their closest friends at, a, you know, Indy Motor Speedway for, you know, a week or for, you know, a day. Yeah, I think the 500 ticket sale, I'll give them a little grace with the 500 ticket sales because I know that during the 2000s, like during the split, like ticket sales had kind of tanked, like if you look at old 500s, there's clear, empty grandstands, especially on the north end. Um, and I think 
selling those tickets and getting more people and more interest out to the track is definitely something that has happened just like physically witnessing it like this past year there were a ton more people there especially on practice days so i will give them that where i struggle to kind of look at what they're saying and take it at face value is stuff like iowa where Hy-Vee is literally giving away tickets to their employees and they're like, look at all these tickets we're selling. And I'm like, yes, you're selling some tickets, but not all of them. And I think they're doing good events with like Nashville and stuff. And like, there's obviously increases in attendance places. I think you're exactly right about COVID and stuff. And I think trying to look at the numbers for certain events like St. Pete and stuff right now and saying, yes, look at all of this improvement is not a useful metric. I think what's going to matter is can you retain that audience over time? So like, look at it in five years, look at it in 10 years, and then say, look at all this stuff we've done versus right now. Honestly, I don't even think they can do that because I feel like if you were to ask people who work in IndyCar, specifically the higher ups, what they expect the series to look like in the future, they probably won't have an answer. Honestly, you're right because all the stuff going on with the engines, with the chassis that they don't want to get a new one, okay, like they genuinely have no idea what direction the series is going in and in their mind they just kind of want it to stay the way it is they're happy where it is they're making some money they're being able to promote good racing they i, I just really fail to see what path forward they are imagining because i just don't see any evidence of that so far yeah, and I will point out here for a second, I know we're spending, you know, quite a bit of time on sort of this, you know, IndyCar leadership, you know, kind of at large and its lack of clear direction and vision. And that's if I'm being polite. And if I'm not, then I would just say an utter lack of competence. But I really think it's important to highlight because, you know, certainly last year um or i guess over the course of the season that just passed less so last year i'm already losing track of time as we draw close to the end of the year but um you know a couple of um outlets uh put periodically throughout the year put out uh polls on you know sort of you know what was you know the best racing in you know so far in you know 2023 and what really blew my mind was that the race, which is traditionally sort of a Formula One dominated media outlet. I mean, they do fantastic work within that, but that's mostly what they cover, you know, and yet IndyCar won that poll far and away. And uh, there's definitely something to it. I mean, I think if you put on all of the theories sort of running, certainly that are within, you know, sort of broader mainstream consciousness, um, you know, and certainly in here in the U.S., that's, you know, going to be, you know, IndyCar, NASCAR, Formula One, you know, as wonderful. And as much as I will, me and, you know, JT and I will both continue to extol the virtues of uh, sports car racing. I understand that that does not capture the imagination the way that those three series do. Um, yeah, IndyCar had, that was far and away probably the best out of those three, you know, never mind. Well, I, 
expended plenty of vitriol on the absolute dog water that is the state of NASCAR in 2023. And truth be told, Formula One, it really isn't much better. They're already regressing on the new car from uh, last year. So, yeah, it's like the racing product was genuinely great. You know, you didn't have, you know, too many just absolute farces of races. I mean, okay, yeah, sure, Portland was a little weird. Um, but, you know, Crashville wasn't, crucially. Um, the uh, running on the new track on Detroit was surprisingly good. Um, I know that was a little bit of a mess in the uh, early sessions, like qualifying sessions. But in fairness, it's a brand new circuit, blah, blah, yada, yada. Um you know, the 500, barring that nonsense with, a, with effectively their version of a green-white checkered, was very stupid. But the racing up through that point had been tremendous. And that was kind of a through line uh, in the season. But, and I think people are finally starting to recognize that. However, if IndyCar themselves can't get it together, then it doesn't mean anything. Because, okay, yeah, you know, you'll have great, you know, great racing and yeah, you'll race right on into insolvency because you can't figure out how you need to proceed for the future. And that's kind of a, that's a problem. Yeah, for sure. I think the point you make about the race polls, I definitely saw that too. I think there was a, I, I don't know if you noticed this too, JT, I think there was a sizable growth in just people's awareness of IndyCar, especially in like F1 circles on Twitter this season, I think as F1 kind of was very boring this year and like you were getting the same result every race, people were not satisfied. And then people saw the small group of people talking about IndyCar and being like, oh, wait, what is this? Maybe this has some substance to it. And I think like our out of context IndyCar account, like, grew exponentially throughout the season um so i think there were genuinely more eyes on indycar this year from motorsports fans in general especially motorsports fans on twitter i think indycar's problem is the outreach from that point because you can capture a certain circle of people that are already interested in motorsports i think their problem is getting people who are vaguely interested in Formula One and are not chronically online about it, or just like the general population. And I think the general population is obviously a lot more difficult um, versus people who know about Formula One, watch Formula One, and have no awareness of any other racing. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, I definitely say like the general population is a lot harder to capture just because that's probably going to be people who are sports fans, but not necessarily like racing fans. So that's like having to go through multiple hurdles of like, how do you get them into racing in general? And then how do you get them into IndyCar racing specifically, which is a whole different task. But I think a lot more people definitely became aware of IndyCar and, you know, for whatever reason, I mean, the memification of like IndyCar, it works. Like, is it? It's it's very funny and you know joking about it, whatever. But it it's it does work. People are over here laughing about it, and they think it's funny. Yeah. So we've done a lot of harping on IndyCar leadership broadly. So I think it's only fair that you know pose this question. You know, you know how do you fix it? So you know. You know, Roger Penske, Mark Miles, get the fuck out of here. You're fired. How do you... Mark Miles, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. 
It's like you have lost. Yeah, you have lost the series. You are clearly a stupid and incompetent, and you are cannot be trusted to do this. So you know you like I hate to be like the whole like you know like out of touch boomer like trope that's going on here, but clearly that's what it is. So it's like I mean you got to call a spade a spade. He's just out of touch, and clearly just like no, no. I know some people have suggested that. NASCAR should buy out IndyCar, I guess. I'm not too sure that would be perceived well. Yeah, no, that's a... I think, you know, again, given that I am very stuck in with, uh, you know, NASCAR and stuff as a result of, you know, victory lane vibes at large. Yeah, absolutely not. I can't think of a worse idea, honestly. (laughs) But, yeah, so... But how would you all, as individuals, what would be your business plan for turning around IndyCar? Um, I think you got to look to the future. I think something that I've been highly critical about is their inability to kind of, I think this is an idea that has infiltrated a lot of sports organizations in this day and age, which is the idea that you need to spend now and invest in your future and it will pay off later. I think they've taken a really pragmatic approach of taking small steps forward and not realizing that they could be small steps forward for bigger gains now, but an uncertain future, whereas they should be maybe investing more now and doing a lot of research into what that investment should go into for future success. And I think the main thing, the main bone to pick that I've had with IndyCar for the last two years, and it is improved, I would like to applaud the small number of social media managers within IndyCar who have greatly improved their social media, which wouldn't, which didn't really take much, but it's still not there. Like, I think putting a lot of money in marketing, finding someone who truly knows what they're doing in marketing and social media would benefit the series greatly. Is that going to solve all their problems? No. But I think that is a part of it that is so far behind i think it is the farthest behind f1 of anything because you have a racing product that's ahead of it in many senses and then your like car technology is improving but it's never going to be at formula one but where you can equal them is in marketing if you can figure it out and i think Half the problem is the series itself. The other problem is the teams themselves. Like you look at what McLaren does and they're just head and shoulders above everyone else. And if we want to move IndyCar forward, you need the efforts of every single team. And like, yes, there's budget restrictions. Like not every team has the same funds to spend. Like McLaren is working with so much more money, but you have to find a way to incorporate all of these things invest resources into social media into marketing and other things that will move the series forward in the long run this was like pretty much i would say the same thing is just invest more in marketing and honestly they could benefit also from just like trying different things out and seeing if they work or not and then like i mean they i mean at the end of every season they give people like the fan survey it's like do they actually like use the feedback that's on the fan survey who knows 
I don't, I sure as hell don't know. They probably don't, to be honest. Um, I don't even know if any racing series, whenever they give those polls or like surveys out, if they actually use any of it. I mean, I know they like showed some data, like they broke down like the gender demographics of like who watches and stuff like that. But I don't know. I mean, some teams have gotten a little bit better. And even just like the series itself with, like I know the IndyCar on NBC account does a pretty good job with their content. Um, but like the actual series account themselves, I feel like could do a lot better job. I mean, some of their posts seem kind of just like random, like they didn't really plan out like what they were doing with it. I mean, they randomly added the out of context IndyCar account like a few weeks ago, just randomly. And it was just like, okay, this is great, but why did you do this? <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Um, you know, definitely, you know, broader outreach is um is definitely is a thing um and in expanding that because i'm going to be honest at the best of times you know you know rfk's twitter account clears like the entirety of indie um which is probably not a good thing now to be fair you know clearly they've got somebody kind of funny who runs the roush fenway kozlowski twitter account but um yeah, it's one of those things. It's like, okay, come on, guys. If we can capture at least a, a little bit of this in IndyCar, that'd be great. Um, but additionally, I think, honestly, I think it is finally moving forward with this flipping car. You know, part of it is the the, the fundamental architecture, the fin fundamental bones of this car are more than a decade old. Um, you know, now granted, you know, the transition from the IRO five to the DW twelve was probably about as close to clean sheet as IndyCar is ever gonna get. Um, now it's worth knowing there were some carryover bits and bobs even there. But I'm choosing to be charitable here. Um, you know, it's like, you know, understanding, you know, and seeing a car. I mean, come on. If, you know, even NASCAR can, you know, adopt, you know, things like composite bodies and finally move to sequentials and have, you know, center lock wheels. Now, granted, it took them entirely too long to make these steps, too. Let's be clear. Um, but... You know, the point is, you know, they finally have something that is, well, for all intents and purposes, kind of a baby GT car now. You know, at truth be told, as evidenced by the uh, Garage 56 Camaro at Le Mans this year, which was actually quicker than the GTs were. Um, it's like, then I think we can make some moves forward on, you know, the Indy car and having a car that is, you know, more technology forward, you know, and I, this is a cross that pretty much all of these series have had to bear. But certainly, if you're going to sit here and talk a big game about um, having cars and, you know, you know, and if you're going to, well, frankly, you're going to sit here, you know, bullshit me and tell me that, you know, this um, piece, you know, on the, you know, Chevrolet Indy car is, you know, going to be, you know, that, you know, draws a direct line. You can draw the direct line to, you know, some component on, you know, my mom's Equinox and well, you can do it actually make it you know start tightening those connections to the road car projects um you know it's vastly more relatable frankly um which and that helps people care about these things um and you know and well it's cool you know formula one moved to the 18 inch wheels finally you know after running you know 15s for you know 30 years same thing because, you know, that and the change in the tire construction was more like actual road cars. That certainly, again, you know, does this go so far as to, you know, 
completely eradicating the IndyCar problem? Of course not. But these are steps to help. Um, you know, and that's really, and I think all three answers, you know, similar but different at all, I think boils down to that sort of in, trying to increase sort of, you know, the broader cultural um, sort of recognition recognition and relevance of uh, of the IndyCar series. I mean, I know I've had people, I've seen people online talk about how they don't really want IndyCar to replace the chassis yet because the racing product is decent that it produces. And it's like, yeah, it does produce decent racing. However, there have been multiple complaints from drivers about how the car is just too heavy with the aero screen and the old chassis. So it's like, I think you probably need to do something. Yeah, I think that's been a really frequent complaint, and it kind of just outlines the broader idea kind of at the core of this that we've been tiptoeing around is that the drivers seem to have very little say in many things. Like, they let them have say in a lot of rules-related things, because they were discussing that the drivers kind of preseason meeting a couple weeks ago, but there's so many important things and important kind of future decisions about the direction of the series that the drivers are completely left out of or just seem to not be taken into consideration regarding. And I don't like that part. Yeah, it's not, it's not great. Um, certainly more uh, say in car direction would probably be good. Um, you know, you know, it's one of those things and, and this is, and maybe that's actually the other thing, you know, just to backtrack for a second, is, you know, say what you will about the way, you know, NASCAR, you know, chooses to conduct itself. Say what you will about the way the FIA and Formula One choose to. But at least you will pretty much always, even if you don't agree, even if you think it is the dumbest decision known to humankind, you will always get a fairly detailed forward public-facing statement about why they chose to do what they did. Again, even if you're like, holy smokes, that was dumb. I mean, this is, you know, about a month off of the back of, you know, when I spent entirely too much time uh, doing, um, you know, research and effectively following the Ve uh, Vegas Formula One weekend. Don't get me wrong. I read some of those... Uh, uh, sort of communication junkets with equal parts amazement and bewilderment. It's like, why did you all think that that was an intelligent thing to do? But I have access to it. I can read that. And at least in some, you know, you play, you know, devil's advocate three times removed, you can kind of see where that starts to make sense. Um, IndyCar doesn't do that. So you'll hear about a change. You'll read about a change. The drivers and sometimes the teams might talk about the change. Emphasis the keyword here being might. But then after that, that's basically it. That's basically all you get. And it makes it very understand, very difficult rather, to understand sort of the rationale from um, from the series and sort of what has prompted this. And I think that is uh, I think that's kind of an issue. Um, but certainly, uh, certainly to your point, um, yeah, it's just, this sport is just so 
indescribably rigid. It's funny. I never really explored that until sitting down to like truly have this conversation, but it's just, <clears throat> it really is a case of this is how we've been doing it forever. So clearly there's no issue with that and like not letting the drivers, you know, have say on the cars. It's just, that's just wild to me as a basic concept. I'm like, okay, well, they're the ones that have to pilot the things. You know, I don't know if it's to stop, you know, attempt to stop team politicking because i mean we see that quite a bit in other series where they do have some say in the regulations going forward and you know maybe that's the part piece that needs to be copied from other series maybe indycard needs to have its own version of like the concord agreement where they sit down hammer out some details that everybody is happy with and basically that is what we do for you know five to ten years Yeah, I don't think that would be a terrible idea. I think that would be an improvement. Um, I think it is really weird that the drivers are the ones driving the cars. And it's like, to me, I think the baffling part of it is it's not, this is an issue with the chassis specifically and how heavy it is. It's not a kind of politicking issue that would come up it's kind of like a unanimous opinion that the car is too heavy and it's too hard to handle and it's a problem um so i think that is kind of what i hate about it because if it's a unanimous concern and it is something that would greatly improve the lives of everyone driving the cars it's just like why can we not find either the budget or the wherewithal to figure out how we can do this soon. It Yes, the car is safe. Yes, the car creates good racing. But how do we know that any future car is not also going to create good racing? Like, Probably because they don't want to. They don't want to, just like we've been saying, because it's just they're stuck in this mindset because things are going okay now that it's like we don't need to look at anything in the future yeah it all just boils down to that just fear of taking any risk at all or the risks they do take are the wrong ones it's just yeah somehow we always get back to criticizing indycar somehow not undeserved at all let's be clear um they have absolutely earned the you know particularly here in the last couple of years because um just indycar leadership and decision has been coming under increasingly heavy fire for uh, well just about everything frankly and it is not uh, like it is not undeserved at all um i mean the only it, thing i didn't even like i kind of defended them on was because people were getting mad at them and attacking them over the schedule and how texas wasn't on the schedule anymore and it's like that wasn't really their fault it's more of the fact of like ISC and like SMI, like it, it's because they changed the dates of the NASCAR races there and there really wasn't much they could do because they don't really have a relationship with SMI, so. Yeah, I say that's pretty much the only thing out of everything that's happened that was absolutely not their fault. Um, yeah, that's some that's classic NASCAR garbage because um, NASCAR couldn't give a toss less about IndyCar and what IndyCar does when it's, uh, when they're working to make the uh, schedule for the year. And of course, I mean, they just don't care. So, <clears throat> you know, they're certainly, they're uh, free from flack for me for that. But basically everything else has like been a, yeah, that's dumb. And we probably should have started talking about this and having this discussion uh, five years ago, really. 
Um, and this is, it's, it's no different, but, um, but no, there's, you know, you know, certainly in kind of other forums I've talked about, it, and I'm sure you two have as well. You know, I think, you know, the sports certainly needs to really does need to do some kind of soul searching to, to figure some stuff out. You know, I was part of me and I don't know if this is the case for you two, but was hoping that with, you know, Penske's purchase of the series, that that might signal some greener pastures ahead. Like I said, you know, basically name a series in the last 50 years. He has fielded a team in it. So, you know, that man understands motorsports very, very well. Um, and, you know, maybe this was my fault. Maybe I put the cart before the horse and said, you know, oh, yes, this will absolutely be great. And maybe this is, you know, the egg on my face. Uh, but I am. I mean, I'm sure other people thought the same thing, too. Like, yeah. you're not the only person who thought that. I mean, part of their. Part of it may be just because, yeah, he's Roger Penske, but he's still, like, old at the same time. Again, yeah. out of touch boomer trope. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's not an unpopular opinion to think that. And I think, in a way, I still hope that that can, like, come true eventually. Like, it's only been four years, maybe, if I'm being optimistic, which I haven't been this entire time we've been recording. but. Maybe with time, they will figure it out. They will make other changes at the top and they will get there. But yeah, what they've done so far does not give me much hope. But if we're giving them grace, maybe they just need more time. See, you say that, it feels like saying that feels like when... um... I, you know, talking about, you know, here uh, in the city of Detroit and just sort of, you know, local government. Well, yeah, they'll figure it out eventually. Yeah, they'll figure it out eventually. They'll figure it out eventually. Yeah, the city was a shithole for like 60 years <laughs> until like literally within the last three or four years. To be fair, they figured it out. But, you know, you had whole generations of people who were born and died before they got there. And, you know, and the thing is, you know, this is a city. This is a functioning municipality. So there is granted some vested, vested interest in not letting it, you know, uh, disappear. There are, you know, 700,000 people here that are the city is effectively responsible for in some uh, capacity or another. But, um, you know, IndyCar, you know, being a, you know, motorsport series at that does not have that luxury. And it has felt like the series has truly waffled for, like I said, if I am being kind, the last about 20, 25 years. You know, at what point do people just say enough? You know, I know we, they are, to its credit, there are some people who are very passionate, very intelligent, and certainly are probably the reason why this series didn't crumble into the ground in, you know, 2000. Um, but you know, how much longer can this persist before folks are just like, oh, okay, this is enough? You know, what happens after, you know, Roger's gone? Cause, I mean, let's be honest, Roger Penske is not a spring chicken, not by any stretch of the imagination. He has definitely got, you know, more years behind than in front of him, you know, just through sheer force of will. And frankly, the fact that that money, man has more money than God, you know, is able to kind of keep this thing moving. But, <clears throat> You know, if, you know, the folks, I guess, under him, I don't know who he has lined up to succeed him. But if whoever that is, 
ends up going, okay, well, this is clearly more effort than it's worth. This series as a whole is so screwed. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens in the future. Um, maybe, I think he has two sons. I think one of them owns the Formula E team, perhaps. So maybe one of them takes over. Maybe one of them can, once again, I'm being optimistic, can move this series in the right direction. I think the one thing that can keep this series alive in at least one form is the Indy 500. It has persisted through all of the chaos and all of the trials and tribulations of IndyCar's past, and it has somehow lasted to this day. And I think someone will come along, whether it's one of Roger Penske's sons, whether it's somebody else in the organization, that at the very least, that race will survive. I think in order to make that race survive in the future, maybe you have to make tough decisions about other parts of the series. I don't know. It's just hard to say. And I think that the future of IndyCar, as we've discussed, is really uncertain because they haven't set motion in a direction that makes us think that it is certain and it is good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, yeah, like we'll see what happens going forward with the series. Um, you know, certainly I, for one, hope it sticks around, you know, for certainly at least as long as I'm around. Um, you know, I have, you know, despite, you know, me being, you know, this feels like the uh, post-Phoenix uh, testing episode where we basically sat and ragged on NASCAR for about an hour and a half. But, um, but you know, despite all of that, you know, I definitely hope it sticks around. I have, you know, gained, you know, many, many, many hours of enjoyment. Uh, from uh from watching the series um and would love for it to continue like i said you know it feels like indycar certainly and how good the product is feel like it's finally cracked in sort of the broader mass motorsports consciousness you know it doesn't feel like i'm you know beating that drum in the corner of the room you know by myself about you know indycar is so good you should watch it i swear really you'll have a great time um, it doesn't feel like I have to really do that anymore. But then when you have, you know, in the last, you know, couple of weeks, you know, this absolute cascade of news that is concerning. It's just kind of like, oh, okay. Um, but, um, but yeah, so we'll, we'll see. But I, but certainly for me, this, uh, this episode has actually been mildly cathartic kind of spill all of the uh, concerns about uh, IndyCar. Yeah, um, I just... think... Sorry. <laughs> um, no, go ahead. Yeah, I think all of my criticism, and I'm sure you guys feel this way too, it comes from like a place of love. Like you love the series and you want it to move forward. And that criticism comes from that. Because if you don't feel like the people in charge are doing the right thing, or you don't feel like the decisions are great for the health of the series in general you just want them to be better decisions so badly because you know how much you love the series and what this series could be going forward yeah absolutely um but i guess before we uh before we close out the episode does anybody have any sort of closing thoughts for us closing thoughts and feelings uh, other than of course the broad overarching theme of this episode which is a uh, indie card do better but anybody got anything for us? 
Yeah, I have something. Mark Miles, if you're listening to this, retire. <laughs> and that is a yeah, that is a wonderful note to close us out on. Thank you so much for listening to this latest episode of Chicanery. And Lauren, thank you so much for taking the time out of your afternoon to sit and uh, chat with us. It has been an absolute pleasure, and I cannot thank you enough. Thank you guys for having me. This has been great. Yeah, it's wonderful. Uh, truth be told, I think might need to tap you to be uh, for to be a regular uh, on IndyCar episodes, uh, time and schedule permitting, of course. I would love that. I love to talk about IndyCar whenever time permits. <laughs> Absolutely. So on that note, thank you guys so much for listening. And uh, until the next episode, you know, have a great one wherever you are. <laughs>